Hey guys, as you know, our world is going through an unprecedented time during the COVID-19 pandemic. To strike out this virus, we, as coaches, have partnered with Fred Hutch Research Institute, who is working on the front lines to stop the spread of COVID-19. Please consider donating to hashtag coaches versus COVID, and here's a word from Hutch. Your support for Fred Hutch is a strike against COVID-19 and a step toward a healthier world. Right now, Hutch scientists with expertise in infectious disease, immunology, public health, and data science are working urgently to speed up testing, track the spread of the virus in real time, and safely test new treatments and vaccines. Your contribution to Coaches vs. COVID will help expand this urgent work. Donate now at fredhutch.org slash coaches versus COVID. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for joining us. Today we have on Hugh Quattlebaum, hitting coordinator for the Seattle Mariners. Q has such an awesome background from his playing career to being a screenwriter in Hollywood and then becoming the hitting coordinator for the Mariners. So on the show, we talk about the rewards and challenges of coaching coaches. We talk about how to execute organizational principles, We talk plan, approach, and mindset, and we also talk about how to simplify these to help the player focus on what's most important. You're going to love this episode, and here is Hugh Quattlebaum. Hugh, welcome to the show. Thanks, JG. Appreciate it. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So I'm I'm happy that you could uh, spend some time in between homeschooling your boys, like you were saying earlier, and uh, and get to spend some time a little a little bit together and, and talk some baseball. Uh, but for our listeners who you know want to get to know you a little bit better, you're a guy who does a fantastic job, and it seems like behind the scenes, uh, because you know obviously you do a little bit on on social media, I think, but. Uh, word of mouth has led me to you because, and I think that's the the biggest compliment you can possibly get in the baseball world is, is that other people in the baseball world think that you're good. Uh, so for our listeners, that's a little of background on, on how we got hooked up, uh, from some good mutual acquaintances who, uh, pushed me to interview you today. But for our listeners who want to get to know you a little bit, uh, can you give us a short snapshot of your baseball background and then how you decided to get into coaching? Sure. Yeah. I, um, I was, I was playing in the early two thousands, finished up in a small D three college in in Massachusetts and was lucky enough to get, get drafted out of there. Um, you know, and I, and I went right from there at a pretty uneventful minor league career for a handful of years. A lot of, I mean, I, I guess I, the whole history is, is kind of a, a summary of failure <laughs> that got me, got me into coaching, but I, uh, the minute I finished, kind of got released by a couple organizations, and I, I moved to LA right after that. And I wanted to try to write screenplays, so I went in a totally, totally different direction. A guy I went to college with was doing film school while I was hacking around the minors, and I was really intrigued by that process. And so I went out to LA, and we joined forces and unsuccessfully uh, tried to write screenplays for for a while, for at least five years. We we hacked at it. Um, the good news is, I guess, of, of the not making money part of that, because, you know, I tried to make it in the major leagues and trying to sell screenplays. You can't pick two two harder things. So there was a lot of uh, a lot of learning from failure through all that. But the, the 
the good thing was it, it, on the side to make money, I was doing lessons. Um, you know, obviously in California, the weather's great. I had, I was helping out with a couple of local, local little leagues. So I had access to fields and, and working with little leagues got me access to a lot of kids. And, and I started doing a lot of lessons on the side to, to pay the bills. Uh, that kind of progressed into working with more, you know, high school, college players, and eventually some, some pro guys. And, and as that was evolving and the, the screenwriting was, was kind of dying down, uh, this job with the Mariners opened up and I was, I happened to be working with a couple guys that were connected to Mariners guys and, um, the, the hitting coordinator position had opened up and I, got a call from somebody I knew within the organization and, and that kind of quickly happened at a couple quick interviews and hooked up with Andy McKay and, and those, and we, we seemed to hit it off. So that all happened really fast. And I was actually moving to Atlanta at the time with the idea of potentially opening up a facility. Um, and that you know, we were trying to find a location. I was in Atlanta working through that when the hitting coordinator job opened up and, and I ended up taking that and, and the rest is last few years have been with the Mariners uh, as hitting coordinator. So kind of from the private world into, you know, kind of a bold move by our farm director, but right into pro baseball and, and mm-hmm. in the coordinator role. So, um, which, which is tricky, but and I'm sure we'll get more into that, but that was sure. kind of, that's the history of how, how I got here. Well, I, I don't know Andy real well, personally, just professionally i think i've i've listened to almost every talk that he's given and and it, you you mentioned that you know he he kind of went went uh, unconventional in hiring you and i i, I can probably you can tell me if i'm right but i don't think that that's uncharacteristic of andy of just hey this is a really good guy and i don't care what his background is but if if i know he can do the job i, I think he he can and so i think that's really neat am i am i kind of in in the right realm there yeah yeah he and he I think there were a handful of organizations that were kind of pushing to get some voices from the outside um, in the mix of the talent they already had inside. And Andy was definitely within that group. Um, And he's, you know, he pays attention to a lot of the the hitting instruction out there, whether it's on social media or people, he's always got his, his finger on the pulse of what's out there. So he was really intrigued by a lot of the new information that was, was coming out from, from the Tewksbury's at the time to, to teacher man, to, to everybody that was coming out. I mean, obviously there are a lot more good ones out there, so I don't mean to single out any, any particular, you know, outside instructors, but so he, he, he's very in touch with that um, and was looking to hire some, some people from that realm to add into the mix with some of the good people that we, we already had. Um, and it's, it's worked out pretty well. I mean, that you're not going to, you know, hit on every single one of them, but uh, you know, you know, Jared DeHart as well. He he kind of was a similar hire, um, you know, obviously really young, just out of finished playing. But I mean, Jared DeHart is an absolute superstar, um, you know, a young guy in the game that's as good as it gets on on all fronts, uh, baseball, but hitting in particular. But so we've been fortunate and, and a lot of us, you know, are like minded and within our organization get along really well. So it's been a been, you know, decent, cohesive unit so far. I love that. And, and again, we were talking uh, maybe a week ago and, and just about the, the guys that you guys hire, you, you know, you work with a lot of, of really well-known guys and, and, and I, obviously that, that has been a big part of the organization. And you can tell that just from the guys that the Mariners have hired, that they've got uh, just a growth mindset and a, a collective of trying to hire as many guys with that 
as possible. And I'm sure you've noticed that on the inside, but just from the outside looking in, that seems to be the case. And I think you, ju- just judging by the some of the the things that you've said so far in our in our conversation, that seems to be the case. But as far as a coordinator goes, you know, for our listeners, uh, from the outside looking in, I to be honest, I didn't know what the different roles in professional baseball were and and a coordinator for me the best way i can explain it is that they they set up the environment to coach the coaches who then the coaches coach the players and they have a little bit less of hands on with the players they still do but it's more of a coaching the coaches uh, in a way that's organizational philosophy and things like that so if if i'm wrong in in any of that then then please you know correct me on on the mic in front of thousands of people but uh but as far as that goes that, that's got to be a tough challenge to try and mold all of these different mindsets that are coming from a, a lot of them outside of baseball and then you've got some of them that have been in the program pro game for their entire lives and trying to really mold an organizational philosophy that all fits within uh, the scheme of things, if that makes sense. So that, that's got to be a tough challenge for you and and just kind of work, take us through some of the different problems that that you've had to deal with. And then really, I'd love to hear how, how you are going about solving those on a daily basis. Yeah, well, first of all, that's, you're 100% right. That that kind of is how the landscape shapes up with the coordinator role to to the affiliate coaches. Um, whether it's coaching the coaches or just, you know, it's, it's, it's working with them to try to, you can kind of be, I, I guess the best way I look at it is you can kind of be an accountability partner for them um, to help them get to the things, the goals that they want to get to for their team and for themselves. And you just kind of help for all the coaches consolidate those things for them and make it easier for them to get to where they want to get. Um, so it starts with, you know, building good relationships. Um, and that's why I think that's probably been the biggest challenge for, for me is, is year one, that was the, you can't, you can't really start getting people to trust what you're trying to implement or what you'd want to implement until they trust you. And that takes time. So, um, and, and, the, and it just doesn't jive with the industry in general. I mean, it's an industry where I had a couple players tell me last year that that's the longest they've ever had a hitting coordinator was, was my second year. And, uh, you know, they haven't had a hitting coordinator for more than a year and they've been in a few organizations. So there's a, it's a, you know, there's a lot of movement in the industry. It's like people don't stick around you know, seemingly for a long time. So I, and that might've been part of Andy's, what he was looking for kind of guys that he knew would probably be more likely to stick around longer. Um, you know, cause they were coming from the outside and, and may take some time to, to get acclimated, you know, with, with a current role. So they might be more likely to stick around longer. So I don't know, but the, the way that you know, kind of ships out, you obviously as, as one person with an entire organization of hitters, it's a lot of hitters to, to get close with. So it, it's, you know, it's hard to impact a hundred hitters when you can have, you know, an impact on six, seven, eight coaches on what you guys are trying to do as an organization. And then, you know, that's, that's the best way to get that to filter down to the player. So it, it works, it works out well kind of as a filtering system. Um, but again, I, you know, none of us probably see it as coaching the coaches. It's, it's more just, you know, developing a relationship with them, working together. If we, if we got a player in Modesto, our, which is our high A team who's struggling, um, we'll go, you know, myself and the affiliate coach will get look at some stuff together, look at numbers, look at some video, 
you know, communicate with the player in a group thread where we're all kind of on the same page and, and, you know, talking together as a group to try to figure it out. So it's just, you know, you're, you're working together to try to keep all the things under the same umbrella that you want to keep them under and drive towards the goals that you're trying to drive to as an org. And, you know, my Andy imparts those goals on to us and we can, we can help our affiliate coaches keep, keep them on track from our, you know, overview of everything. I love that. And, and again, it's, it's, it's interesting to hear the inner workings of, of what a coordinator does. And, and again, you have to, you have to mold so many different personalities, uh, not necessarily maybe mold wouldn't be the, the right term, but you're hiring from the outside in a, a lot of different times. And, uh, and with, when hiring from the outside in, you have outside experiences, opinions, uh, biases even. And so your, your job is to kind of almost be a salesperson on what the Mariners philosophy is a little bit, uh, especially if, if those coaches don't agree with you. And so I'm sure that that, that is a challenge and you've, ha- you've probably had some, some interesting conversations regarding that. Um, but obviously, obviously you've talked about building that relationship piece and, and, uh, making sure that that's at the forefront of what you're doing. But I also was curious on, um, really just, one thing that 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 really stands out to me as a as a coordinator is is having that individualization piece, like letting coaching guys up, but then also letting them do their jobs. Now, is there a is there is there a, a right mix to that? I mean, just how do you how do you balance really? Like we talk about individualization with players all the time of letting them do their thing, be themselves, be their own best coach, and you you are tasked with trying to do that for coaches too. And so what's been the balance for you to be able to do that? And then uh, just kind of walk us through that process a little bit. Yeah, um, that, that is a challenge, obviously. But, you know, I, we were a podcast that a lot of us have been sharing around recently. It was an Urban Meyer, um, Michael Gervais podcast. It was really good talking about everybody being in charge of their 20 square feet is a big theme for, for I think it's Gervais is big on that. but. Um, and that's something we're really trying to, you know, heed as an organization that everybody's got a huge role wherever you are from the Dominican DSL hitting coach up through Andy McKay, the farm director, all roles are equally as important in that in you know, whatever your 20 square feet are. So, you know, you got to give guys space to, to dominate that their 20 square feet. So that that's a huge part of it, not stepping on people's toes. I mean, I can guarantee you, and I and I was guilty of it in my first year. When nothing drives an affiliate hitting coach more nuts than, you know, he's been in the cage every day with a player, and they've been talking about stuff. There's a couple of things they pop, you know, he thought was was probably clicking with the player, and then the coordinator comes into town and says something that's completely contradictory to what they've been they they've been talking about. And so, you know, getting on the same page and making sure all communications are you know, are known to everybody and tracked and, um, you know, you're not going to agree on everything off the bat. So, but if you're aware of the, well, whatever's being said, you can have conversations and at least get to a, a place where there's common ground. And I, and I would say, like you mentioned, there's, there's people from a lot of different backgrounds, uh, you know, older school coaches who've been around forever, who may not be as familiar or as, as into newer thoughts, ideas, technology, but you, there's always common ground. Um, and, and, you know, again, if you develop the relationship long enough, you're going to find some common ground and then you can start 
working towards, you know, working together to get, get the players where, where you guys are both trying to get them. So, uh, it, it, it is hard, but again, I, and Andy's done a good job of getting enough people, the, the growth mindset. I mean, that book was in my locker, uh, you know, a couple, couple months into me having this job and it was in everybody's locker, the growth mindset book. Um, so, you know, that's, that's definitely something as an org we're, we're looking for and, and the people we're, we're hiring and, and obviously, you know, something we value. So, you know, when you have that and, and most of our staff does, especially on the hitting side, it makes life a lot easier. So, you, you know, I, I'm not sure there's a great answer when you have somebody who really doesn't believe in anything you're doing. Uh, it's probably there's probably a wall where, you know, you hit a point where that's just not a relationship that's not going to work out. So that's that's the far end of that spectrum. But, yeah, you're, you'll we'll find enough common ground that. You know, and, I, and that's been the scenario again, but it takes time. So I, I guess, you know, the other huge challenge in that role is, you know, you think you're doing all this innovative stuff. And there was for a little while, probably, you know, three, four in the last five years, you know, kind of an arms race of people getting caught up on technology and figuring out which technologies you're going to serve them best. And, you know, everybody trying to get a leg up on the others and whatever's out there from bat sensors to, you know, motion capture stuff. Um, so that, that did exist, but I, you know, everybody was doing it and everybody's probably caught up by now. And what you really realize, especially with all the content that's out there now is, you know, you listen to all these really good coaches and you've had many of them on your podcast uh, where a lot of them are talking about the same stuff. I mean, it's, you know, I, I think I joked with you before in screenwriting, you know, you uh, the ultimate, you know, attempt to be creative industry. You think you come up with all these creative ideas, but the reality is, you know, almost every idea we ever came up with and we'd pat ourselves on the back, think, oh, that's a great idea. We got it. Within a couple of weeks, we'd find out there was somebody else writing a very similar script with a very similar idea. And we had some off the wall ideas. So the point is, you know, everybody, your ideas are never that unique that you're the only one doing them. And that's no different in baseball. Everybody's kind of trying to drive towards the same thing. So the challenge again becomes how you execute those things. And, um, you know, that's, that's, to me, it's hard, but that's, it's also, you know, it's, that's what's enjoyable about the process. Can we execute, you know, all these ideas and, and thoughts and, and execution for me comes down to, you got to simplify it first. And can we, can we simplify what we really want to value and the goals we want to value and the values we want to value, simplify it and, and execute them. So that's, that's, that's what it all ultimately boils down to. Again, it's a challenge, but those, that's, what's going to separate organizations from other organizations no I, I i'm absolutely with you and over probably the last six months they you know people have asked and i, I think you, you you asked me about this too of some of the some of the different things that i've learned in the process and and that's been a big one it's like understanding the complexities of the thing whatever discipline that you're trying to study but also knowing it so well that you can simplify it in a way that makes sense to like a third grader. And so I, that's been something that, that it's, it's truly, I think that's where wisdom comes, comes from, you know, just being able to cut out the noise and focus on exactly what is needed to do uh, for the player to, or even in your case for the coach to uh, complete the task or execute, which I, I, I love that word. Uh, something else that, that I also have been, uh, or I heard a quote from somebody talking about how we pr- we can provide the map for the player, but we don't give them give them the directions on how to get there. 
so you can provide a plan, you can provide uh, what your objective is going to be, but then letting them try and figure out different ways to get there. And, and I thought that that was really good. And that may be similar to the coaches that you're trying to coach. But as you were saying that, that, that popped into my mind of, okay, so here's, here's the organizational philosophy. Uh, here's the things that we value. And from, for me as a coach, I'm like, okay, here's the strengths of the player. Here's what they do. Well, here are some things that they can work on, but let's, you know, obviously focus on what we, what we think together that they can become. And then we can provide the environment for them to get there, but not necessarily cueing them to death to get there. And so I, I think you've, you've kind of inspired me to go down that road a little bit by, by what you're talking about, which I thought was a fantastic answer. Yeah, uh, you, you so. hit it on the head. I mean, I, I got really excited about a lot of what you just talked about. And, you know, I, I think the best way I heard it described a couple of years ago is kind of guided self-discovery. So you're, oh, you know, you're like you said, you're, you're trying to provide a map, but but the more the players and, and this is learning in general when they can. And I see this with my darn six year old all the time. We're finally we got some time now with the, with the quarantine. So I get you know, whether he likes it or not, I get some time to get Absolutely. out there and, and hit with him. But it's, it's, you know, even just, I see it nonstop with him, the, the more he's kind of discovering the answers to the, to the problems that you put in front of them, the more they resonate and, and stick. So, um, that applies across the board with coaches and, and players, but yeah, I, lo- I love that idea. And I, I love the idea of guided self-discovery because that makes it a lot easier to, to transfer, stick, retain all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It makes it sticky. That's what I was going to say, but you stole my line. So we'll go ahead and move on to the next question. But whenever we're talking to, uh, whenever we're talking to players, I, again, I, obviously I'm a huge proponent of communication, proper communication, effective communication, but I love getting to hear other people's perspective because that means something different for every person. Just like I think literally everything in life, it, it, you could answer it with, uh, it depends, but how do you, how do you how have you found best to communicate with the players? And I'm going to take out this because I know you're going to use this. You got to start with the relationship, um, so you can't use that one. So once you establish that relationship, yeah, kind of what does what does that communication look like with them? And 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 if you weren't going to say that, I apologize, but I figured that 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 was where you were going. Yeah. By the way, I totally forgot. I, I meant to at the beginning of this say that I had the perfect plant for this for this interview. That by the at the end of this interview. When we get to, you know, one thing I'm excited about or whatever, I know you've asked that question previously in, in podcasts, uh-huh. but I, I have the answer to all hitting woes that any coach would ever experience. So I literally have the key to it all. And I'm going to, I'm going to give it to you at the end of this thing. So, so okay. I, I'm, I'm throwing that plan out there Quite to keep people, keep, keep people listening. Yeah, no, I got it. <laughs> and then we'll, we'll, so we'll, we'll get that at the end, but um, so yeah, with, with individual players, once you've developed the relationship, Again, I think the, the, the key component of the guided self-discovery piece is basically asking questions. And it's as simple as that. But say you got a player who's struggling with something and, and you and the staff have decided it's worth kind of having a conversation with him to, to get him to discover himself what this issue might be and how they can go about it. And literally, just by asking questions, if you, if you sit down with a player – and just say, hey, where you know, what do you think your strengths are right now? You'll get some decent answers, but where, where do you think you could get better? If you just let them drive that discussion by, and then that'll lead to another question. I mean, we've, you know, within our player plan meetings, and we've got some staff members who are 
outstanding at this. Uh, but you know, they, they go into a player play meeting with some goals that they know they want for the player. And, you know, if he improves this, we, we know that is going to help him. You know, let's take something as simple as, is getting the ball in the air a little bit more. This guy's got great contact ability. He's got some power, but he's hitting a lot of ground balls. Okay. If, if we can get him hit in the air a little bit more, he's probably gonna have a little bit more production. That is such an easy thing to get to without mandating it of the player. And then it kind of, by just by asking questions. And again, in a lot of these player plan meetings, this is, if you just ask the questions you get, they will get to the point where they are saying exactly what the goals you had for them are. And now they're far more bought into it. Um, you know, and it, it it's a big difference in the pro world than the private world of, you know, I always joke that in the private world and, and you, you kind of, the minute they walk into the cage, you have them, you have them at hello, but in the pro world, most of the, most of these guys, you, you lost them at hello. Um, you know, they, they should, and I don't blame them. They should, why they've had so many different coaches and so many different experiences. And, you know, probably a lot of that help, especially on the hitting side is some of it's helped, but a lot of it hasn't. So they should be a little bit skeptical. Uh, but again, if, if, you know, if you work towards asking questions on what the actual data is saying and, and, you know, the, the data doesn't lie. And that's how you always start. And we always work backwards from the game, um, whatever's happened in the game. I mean, it's easy to, and I, that's my, you know, I, I'm jumping all over the place here and I apologize that, you know, one of our big concerns obviously during quarantine is that guys don't have game results to, to work off of. So they're, they're sitting in their backyard, you know, see something on Twitter about a guy who's doing something different with his hands. And now all of a sudden they want to do a hand pump and it's got no correlation to what's been happening on a field. So, you know, that's the, the biggest benefit of being in season is, is being able to work backwards from the game. So, and, and obviously I know you got a lot of high school coaches and college coaches who, who listen to this at the pro level, we have a lot uh, access to probably a little bit more data that, that makes what's happening in the game more clear. Um, but again, that allows us to set some goals that are clear, that are, you know, validated. And, you know, as you get it, to get it into the hands of the player, I, I really can't reiterate that, that guided self-discovery premise that, that starts with asking questions, you will get them to, to go down the same road and get to the same goals that you probably have for them. And then, you know, the buy-in piece, which is so critical. Um, again, you're dealing with players who you lost at hello, you know, they're making all they're they're making the discovery. So now you have a chance of having some buy-in that will stick and, and the, you know, obviously getting them to stick with something for a while in a game that's dominated by failure is, is gold. So sorry, I was all, I was all over the place with that answer, but well, that was fantastic. hopefully brought it back somewhere. And just, just to add to that too, and something that, that I learned, uh, in the last six months, it's, uh, our, our hitting coordinator, Cody Atkinson talked to us about preparing for those conversations too. And, uh, just because, you know, whenever these guys are getting to know you, uh, doing that guided self-discovery, letting them drive the discussion. And, and then you said working backwards from the game, those are all fantastic too, uh, but then some of them will be, will be like, Hey Q, just tell me, tell me what, what to do. And for me, like that hit me between the eyes, because if I don't have a good answer, then I've lost them. Like then that's just like me trying to guess. Or if, if I give them some BS answer and I wasn't prepared, then that's another way that we, that we lose that player, or we at least lose some, some trust that we've been trying to build. And so on top of those things, I, I, I love all of the things that you said, but I, for me, in the back of my mind, that's, that's always something to keep in mind of, okay, 
I want to be able, and this is probably what, what you were talking about with work backwards from the game. But for me, I'm like, okay, here's the objective and hopefully something that we can agree upon, but I want to at least have some options for them uh, to go through if they don't have any, because the, I, I don't want them to ask and me not have something for them because then yeah. it's like, wh- what's, you know, what's my job <laughs> It's to help them. It's to help them with that. And so he talked about, you know, preparing, uh, maybe four months for a four minute conversation, which I thought was extremely good. And, and, but we'll also on the flip side of that, we're going to have players that we may not connect with real well. And we, that, that we'll, we'll just call them tougher than others, maybe either to get to know or to get them to buy in to what we're trying to get them to do. Because again, we both work in the professional realm. Uh, if you're listening to college, uh, if you're a college coach, you, you've got players that have been successful for forever even in the amateur, if you're working with a starter, they've had success. And so sometimes it takes them not having success to, uh, to change. And so uh, until that point, it's really hard to, but if you still get guys who maybe aren't bought into what you have to say or what the Mariners philosophy is, or just trying to, you know, you talk about working backwards from the game. If they don't see it eye to eye after all of this, I mean, where do we go from there? Because I, on every team, I think there's been that player of just like, man, they just, they won't listen to me. Like they have no interest in that. I mean, just kind of, what do you do if, from that standpoint? That, yeah. That's, that's a hard hitting question. Very that's hard. not a softball question, but, and I think, and Cody, I don't know Cody personally. I, I read the article. I think it was fan graphs that, that uh, they did with him and I was, it was outstanding. So I was really mm-hmm. imp- impressed by him. Another example of, you know, a lot of guys are doing doing this a lot of similar stuff. I mean, he's he strikes me as a guy that's gonna is already executing it well and, and will execute it well. But he's right. I mean, you, you put in a lot of time for that for that four second answer when you do get thrown in the fire by a player who's desperate. I, I would say, you know, kind of the catch all for all those scenarios, whether it's a player you've developed a really good relationship or a player that hasn't uh, developed as good a relationship, and this may be a theme that that hits on you know, a couple, we hit on a couple more times in this conversation, but you can never go wrong with confidence. Um, and a guy who's, you know, if, if a guy's in his most deficit moment in the middle of a game, right before in a bat and saying, I need something, you know, I need some JG, like, what do I do? He's probably in a point where his confidence is, you know, not a 10 out of 10. Uh, and I think what, one of the biggest things I've learned, um, in the last few years, and we have a relationship with, um, a mindfulness performance app uh, called Vision Pursue, and it's great. I mean, I know Pete Carroll, I think, is an advocate of it, and there, there, there are a lot of others. But, yeah, I was speaking with the guy who you know, was one of the creators of that app and talking about confidence, and I kind of had a false assumption of it. But, you know, I asked him the question, like, how do I get – how do we get more guys to that 9 out of 10, 10 out of 10 confidence more often? And he kind of nipped, nipped it in the bud immediately, like, it's just not realistic. You're – you're, you can't, you can't falsely change the confidence level that much. And, and the reality is, and you know, this, you're going to be dealing with guys with, you know, a two, three out of 10 confidence, half your lineup probably is, is in somewhere in that range on any given day. So you got guys dealing who've got their A swing, but you got guys who are battling with a, a B, C or all the way down to a, a Z swing for God's sake. So, um, so anyways, when you get that question in the fire, you probably got a guy who's struggling with confidence. He's at a three out of 10. I, I think the, the best thing you can get back to them with is, all right, well, what do you know? What, what do you know you can do on your worst day? What do you know you can do in your sleep? What got you here? Um, and that, you know, that probably more than any other mechanical advice I've ever given anybody, you know, in the last couple of years, the, 
that that conversation, what it yields, has probably gotten me more out of a player, you know, than anything else. And just you know, and I, I had a few players come back to me. You know, they said they 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 were in, having that day where they're in their C swing. They felt like a three out of ten. Stepped out of the box and said, "All right, I I know I can take any fastball." over the shortstop's head, you know, one, one I'm thinking of a lefty guy who's stick, stick, you know, sticking out in my brain, but, um, and that, you know, that doesn't bump you to a nine out of 10 confidence, but it, it might take that three out of 10. And now you're playing at a five out of 10 and giving yourself the best chance for success. You're probably simplifying. You've gotten two externals because you know, you've gotten all the clutter out of your brain of anything mechanical, which again, is probably another reason why that's a better answer of trying to give them something perfect mechanically, he, you know, he might be processing. Is that is that a good mechanical thought? I got three others in my head. Which one should I choose? You just tell, dude. What can you do in your and like that guy has probably hit six hundred line drives over the shortstop's head from little league on. Like he can visualize that, he can get that, and that's got to do more than you know than any mechanical tip can do in the heat of battle. Um, obviously, it's a different argument if you're in you know in the practice session or in the off season um, or a different conversation. But I really do think that that's probably. Yeah, you know, as I've thought about that question a lot, that's probably the best catch-all answer to the guy that's that's starving for something in the heat of battle. Sure. Yeah. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and and so let's let's go ahead and uh, let's let's go into some some swing prep or just anything that that we can practically take away. Uh, you know, one thing that that I think, especially during this time, uh, just swing prep is stuff that that you really that really gets you ready maybe before you step into a cage or stuff that maybe that players can do at home now, uh, to really work on their swing. And, and, uh, maybe you have different thoughts on that, but that's just kind of whenever I hear swing prep, I'm like, okay, we're prepping for the swing. Like we're preparing to, you know, to take our a swing whenever we start BP. Uh, so for maybe the players listening or the coaches that are, that are searching for, uh, just really, some some different drills or or some different thoughts some some different methodology behind what they can do now or even take into the season what are what are your thoughts on swing prep and and can you give us some some material to use yeah i you know i'd say in our daily process uh what we'd ideally have each of our players in our system doing is kind of having their day build from you know, starting with probably movement prep first, you know, I, I guess on a simple level, we're moving from being a little bit more inter- internal with how we're thinking about our swing, thinking about how we move, thinking about what we want to do, working on a drill that gets them to side bend a little bit more, whatever it is, and then building towards, you know, our BP that's going to get towards a little bit more external and maybe even some velocity machine before the game to get up to game speed and, you know, get the get the ticker going a little bit more for priming for that. But I think, you know, I, I like the movement prep at the beginning of the day. It primes primes your brain and your body for, you know, the movements you want to create. You can do that if you, if you have a consistent pattern. That's something that can, you know, put a dent in, you know, again, let's take side side bend, for example, which, you know, is, is definitely a, a common thing for a lot of guys that they can improve you know, a couple good movement prep drills. You know, we, we like the one where you, you're throwing the Frisbee with your lead arm, you're holding the PVC pipe into the ground and you're just throwing the Frisbee underneath that lead arm and then holding that position. Just you're priming your body for some of the movements you want to have in a game. And obviously at that point, you're two o'clock before a seven o'clock game. You're, you're, you know, you're building that over time. It's something you're doing consistently. You're probably a little bit more internal, but you're getting yourself to, to move the way you want to move. Um, then you'd have guys kind of, pound into a couple of the drills that would reinforce that, whether it's, you know, pick the same guy, we'll stick with the, with the side bend guy, um, you know, do some, 
short bat and down and away tee and down and away flip. So you got to get your body down there because the bat's shorter and the pitch is down and away. Now you know you're working on some of your weakness. And again, I, I'd want that to be working backwards from a game. Maybe this is a guy that struggles away or struggles down and away. So it's, you know, we're, we're putting a dent in and helping him move in a way that's going to help him, you know, cover those holes a little bit better. Um, and then also, obviously, you know, another thing when and confidence always being a big issue, don't want to only work on weaknesses where guys are constantly only working on what they're struggling with. And I think continuing a daily pattern where you're also working on your strengths. I was just talking to the other night in a Zoom call with, with the high school team, and that was kind of my big, big note to those guys is they're trying to find ways to take swings and, and figure out how they can improve. I, most people are probably thinking about weaknesses right now while they're stuck in the tee and into a net in their backyard, but you don't want to, without all this competition, you know, you don't want to forget about what you do well um, and what got you to be a high school varsity player or whatever level you're at. So I think building that into your daily prep is huge. Um, and then again, you should be building towards more and more kind of external stuff as you're getting into BP on the field. You're locking in on targets, maybe facing some of the pitch shapes you're going to see that night, whether you set it up with, you know, mixed BP or, or, you know, a machine that's got some ride on it. Um, you're building towards getting out of the internal mindset and getting towards locking in on what you're going to commit to externally. So that would be kind of the daily, daily prep. Um, I think that's you know, what we're trying to build towards in terms of what's, you know, hopefully I hit on some of what guys can do now while they're just kind of in, you know, in a lull and trying to figure out the things they can do. I, I guess the biggest thing I'd caution against is, is the, you know, overdoing things when they, they don't have a correlation to anything that's ever happened to you on a field in a game, but also sticking to your strengths, working on those, um, you know, you can be creative. There, there's all kinds of great, you know, timing is probably something people are losing um, right now, not facing pitching. So if you have wiffle balls, I love the max BP thing. Um, you know, I think there's a couple of max BPs, that little wiffle ball shooter that, you know, shoots. I think there's a couple different companies, pit, pitcher perfect or something, but you know, that ball moves around pretty good. It's got, got some variability to it. You got to be quick and react. Like that can be a great thing for guys to do now, but um Again, stay, sticking to working on your strengths as well as getting getting some hacks in, I think, is is critical for guys to be thinking about right now. For sure, you know something that that they're also lacking right now, and we are all lacking right now uh, for the most part, uh, unless you've got access to you know, live BP, is uh, making that decision. And so you don't necessarily have to curtail it to you know, COVID-19 and the crisis that we're dealing with right now, but just anything that we can do, uh, I, I can't overemphasize how important it is to have drills that make you make a decision every time, uh, instead yeah. of like just to work with, with no goal and, uh, and talking with you and talking with, with Connor, I know that this is something that's important to you guys too. Uh, but what is, what, what are some different things that, that we can do to help with that? Is it just putting, you talk about external focus quite a bit is it just having something as simple as that or, or is there is can it be more complex? And just what are what is some advice for some of the players and coaches listening to be able to add this to their practice plans of yeah. just, hey, hey, we, we have to be better decision makers. So how do we train that? Yeah. And I, I honestly, I, like you do a huge service to the industry because you bring this up with everybody. And, and I think it's such a great question. And obviously, you're very wise to be in tune with it. Um, I, again, I mean, I, one thing I forgot, by the way, with the, you know, the quarantine situation, there really is a lot of power behind visualization um, and what it can do. 
Um, again, our boy, our boy Jared Tahart, who's you know a, a research psychopath, is um, he's been on a visualization kick recently. I think he's writing papers on it for some random course he's he's doing. He's again, he's he's crazy. But you know, there are a lot of studies out there, and he was telling me this, so I apologize if I misquote. But even weightlifting where there's a group that's just lifting weights, a group that's just visualizing lifting weights and a group that's doing both lifting weights and visualizing. And even the group that was just visualizing is actually gaining muscle mass. Um, I mean, it's crazy, the power of visualization. So I think that is something, um, you know, it's, it's not the most, you know, we, we can learn a lot more about the effects of it, but there has to be positive benefits to guys taking advantage of as corny as it sounds, you know, just, going through some visualization exercises, visualizing themselves, taking a, you know, an up and away good fastball and driving it to right center, you know, do that before you go to bed for 10 minutes. And it's probably some, you're gaining some value out of that. So that, that, that went away from the swing decision and it probably affects swing decisions, honestly. I mean, if you're really diving into visualization and you're, and most people are visualizing them hitting game winning hits probably before bed, but if you can, you know, you build in some, some, takes on nasty sliders that that you you know you have in your mental database that that's definitely something that's helping guys would help guys as well but beyond that for for practical things again like there's nothing better in the world and we've thought through everything we've looked tried to get on our hands on every pitching machine that's out there there's there's just no substitute right now for mixed bp just even even if it's a a fastball and you don't you can't throw a good curveball you know for BP, it's just changing up the speeds is, is really valuable. Um, again, we were talking about timing and I, I dived into the max BP, but you know, you can do the, the three plate drill where you're moving back and forth. Um, and you know, you have quicker decisions to make and then you got to wait for the ball, uh, longer on the plate that's further away. So you're moving your back, yourself back and forth in the plates. So that's a great drill that people can do right now with wiffle balls to, to mess with timing, but yeah, mixed BP. Um, I was actually talking with, with Tim Hires, who I know, you know, you've mentioned before, but he's the, uh, he's the Red Sox hitting guy, but we were talking, and it's a really simple drill. Again, I, I'd reiterate that, you know, from, from any level, uh, the, the biggest thing I could part to maybe high school coaches is we're really not working on anything crazier at the pro level than, than you guys are working on at, at the high school level. Um, but that said, you know, I think Tim maybe got this from a college coach somewhere, but just setting up a cone, um, you know, a, a medium sized cone at the bottom of the zone and, it, and you're facing breaking balls. And if the breaking ball starts at the cone or below, that's a that's a layoff breaking ball. If it starts above, that might be something you hack at. Um, but that's a great decision drill when you're, you know, you're trying to get better on your decisions on breaking balls. So stuff like that is is, I think, really, really helpful um, on the decision side of things. Oh, that's great advice. I, I love that. And, and again, it's it, sometimes simple wins, uh, simple helps us to focus on what's important and not all of the different things that, that could be going on in our brains. And, and I, I love the study that, that you mentioned with the muscle mass. I thought that was really, really neat. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a pretty good one to read for, for the listeners who are interested in that. But we also, with, we, we kind of lump these two together, uh, plan and approach. And I, some people, refer to them as different things. Uh, some people refer to them as kind of the same thing. So let's say that, that you're getting, uh, we just had the draft and you signed all of these players and they're coming to you and you're trying to help them with a plan or approach, or even with minor league guys who may be struggling with that. What does that conversation look like? And how do you guide them through self-discovery to, 
a, a plan and approach that fits their strengths. Yeah. And again, I, back to even the last question, it's not, you got to practice it. Like you're saying, you know, you got to practice swing decisions. You got to practice your approach. And that means literally just getting out of the habit of the, the mindless autopilot BP where you're swinging at everything, just, just making a guy, any player, um, to declare what they're trying to do. And the, even if they just declare, I'm trying to drive it in the air to right field, that's, that's usually enough. Um, cause you know, pitch location will factor into that. So if it's, you know, a fastball in the inner black, they're probably less likely to swing at that if they've declared the intent to hit it to right center field, but just making guys do that is, and, and we, we do it as often as we can. I, you know, I wish we, we, we could do it more, uh, but holding guys accountable to that. And now all of a sudden they're, they're making swing decisions in their practice. So, um, and then to down to an individual basis of, you know, helping guys when they make that declaration, you know, maybe a guy's telling them, says he wants to keep hitting it, you know, to the right center field gap and you know his strength is to the left center field gap. Well, if he's aware of that, but he wants to work his strength, then that's one thing. But if you don't want him to get his strength, you know, let's do a round to the left center field gap here too. Let's not lose that. So, um, you know, I, I know that doesn't fully answer your question on how you build an approach for for everybody, but that, that would be part one. Um, and then, you know, again, I don't know if you were going towards, you know, kind of game planning and in-season approach stuff and that's that's going to be tailored every night to you know two things what the the pitcher you're facing and then again what you do well as a hitter so you know each day and we have I know Kyle Wilson got into this a little bit in in his podcast but yeah the game planning meetings um are critical and it's going to be different every night a little bit to to what you're facing and you know, we try to make sure our guys know the, the characteristics of the fastball they're going to face that night. So, again, if it's a guy with a ride, that's going to dictate a certain approach that, that you want, or a guy with sink, that might dictate a certain approach. And, again, by approach, I'm generally referring to an external target, whether it's if it's a guy that's sinking stuff underneath your bat, you're probably raising that target to elevate. If it's a guy with a ride, it's, you're probably lowering it a little bit to stay, stay on it so or on top of it. But, um you know, so that's using that. And then again, always being cognizant of what you do well and trying to match those two things up with, with what the pitcher does well. And, you know, and, and what his traps might be just being aware of his traps is also, you know, by traps, I just mean his, his most likely chase pitches, what he's going to try to get you to chase with two strikes, but um, yeah, just being aware. And then, then you can kind of tailor, okay, I know with, you know, I know his best pitch to get try to get me out with two strikes is a is a slider that he starts down off the, the outside edge and down. So, and I know that I hit up better anyways, and and he doesn't have insane ride on his fastball. So I'm I can be very comfortable, you know, looking up. And again, it's kind of like what Cody was saying about giving a quick answer. You know, putting in you know a lot of work for what was it four weeks of work, four months of work for a four second answer, but. Um, at the same time, being able to to adjust to a quick answer on on game planning, it's usually going to boil down to an external target um, and shifting that up or down or you know in or out. But we we have a commitment box of where we want guys to commit to, and again, we it's dictated mostly by where you're going to hit it, where you're trying to hit it on the field, and then tying that to the best location in the box to to do that. So some guys, but you know, everybody's a little different. Some guys like thinking about the the actual location they're trying to attack. Some guys probably like thinking more about where they're trying to hit it. But um, yeah, boiling all that information for an approach. And there's obviously the more the higher level you go up, the more information there is. But getting it down to simple, something like a commitment box, so you can get that guy committed to something simple, right? Right as the pitch is being thrown, that's that's the ultimate goal. 
I love that. Um, and the commitment box, that's something that, that I am, I'm writing down as we speak. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's line of sight. I think it's huge too, especially with how freaking good guys tunnel. Like it's, it's amazing to me how we hit a ball in, in general. And then just like at the last minute, it just bugs bunny change up and you just like, (laughs) it's just, I I don't know how they do it. Like I, I, yeah, just standing next to a hitter watching them, uh, just even in bullpens, it's like, oh God, I, I, there's a reason that that I'm coaching you and not not setting standing in the box right now. Well, and you're uh, hitting. But, I mean, it's but you're hitting right. I mean, it's how hard it is, and I hope I didn't make it sound so too hard. complicated. Again, where it's all about getting it to be simple, and and ultimately, you know, what, what you're more than 99 times out of 100 looking for pitches that end up in the damage zone, that that center cut red 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 zone in the middle of the strike zone. That's where you want guys swinging uh you know obviously you're looking for balls that end up there so guys with some ride or you probably might set your sights a little bit below that but in general that's where you know most hitters playing this game are going to do their damage in, in the in the middle of the damage zone um so i mean that's you know especially for the high school college levels i don't, I don't mean to overcomplicate it more more than that that's that's mm-hmm. ultimately your commitment box is looking for balls that end up end up there but you know like you said you got to compensate for the bugs bunny guys and, and there is a lot of movement so uh you know where that where you're looking for that pitch might be a little bit different but ultimately you're looking for balls that end up in that you know heart of the zone that you can that you can drive and that's that's from every level that's that's those are the pitches sure. that get hit the best for sure so let me ask you this too because this is another hard conversation so let's say we're going over hitters meetings and let's say my strength you're the pitcher and i'm the, I'm the hitter let's say that your strengths as the pitcher are completely opposite than my strengths as the hitter. So like, like you can attack my weaknesses based on your strengths. And then, then what do we do? Like, what's the plan then? Cause ideally we were hoping that the hitter's strengths line up against the, the pitcher's weaknesses, but sometimes that's not the case. So, so yeah. what does that conversation look like? Yeah. And I guess, you know, we talk about this a lot, but most of the time you're going to be able to stay to your strengths, you know, whether it's, or some version close to it, you, you adapt a, your commitment box a little bit to, to compensate, but there's going to be a, I don't know what the number is. One out of 10, one out of 20, one out of 50, but there are going to be times when you're just the matchup, you playing your strengths just isn't going to work against this guy. Um, and you got, you got to be able to find a, find a different approach. You got to be able to battle with a B swing, um, you know, say you're a guy that, that pulls the ball really well, but, you know, contact out front is where you're at your best, but, um, I'm picturing a lefty again. So, you know, you're a guy that likes to get balls a little bit more in on you and, and get your contact out front and do your damage to the pull side. But this guy's got major run on his fastball, has his control that day and is, is just sitting on the outside corner and doesn't even, if he's missing, he's missing off the play. He's not even coming anywhere near in on you that's a situation where you're going to, you, you might have to adjust and, and go to, go to what you, you know, not, not something you want to do to make your bread and butter and your money on, but that that's the time you have to adjust and, and, you know, play a different game, play with your B swing, whatever it is, and, and maybe go oppo. And, um, I, you know, it's, it's fascinating how much of a rabbit hole you can go down on that. And, you know, how much do you need to change your approach? If you're going oppo and you know, that's not where you drive the ball the best, you, do you want to try to hit that ball a little bit lower perhaps, or hit it higher? Yeah. That's, that's something worth considering too. So, um, you know, that's, if you know, you're a guy that's not going to drive it over left fielder's head when you go oppo and that's why you don't do it in the first place. Maybe you're setting your sights to, again, your external target becomes shooting a line drive between short and third. Um, 
So again, that, there'll be times that, but again, I, I would reiterate that playing to your, to stay to your strengths as often as you can until you find that scenario where you just can't do it. And, and hopefully you've, you know, made yourself, you know, worked on enough stuff that you can, you can battle in that situation and still compete. For sure. Or just find, find maybe that one thread of, cause you talked about helping them with confidence. Cause if they see that and they're like, Oh man, this does not match up very well. Helping them to understand that, Hey, he, this pitcher gives up hits. Like we're, we're facing freaking Garrett Cole tomorrow. I mean, he's going to give up hits. So it, it might as well be against you. And, uh, so just something like that, yeah. I, I think is really good. And, and you, when you talked about confidence, um, that's what I thought of. I was like, yeah, I mean, they have an ERA, right? So it's not yeah. like it's zero, zero. Uh, and it really is. That, and it's, it is, it's not that often that you're going to have to deviate from generally from what you do. Well, it, it's, you know, the most, most guys, pitchers make mistakes, man. They make them a lot. I mean, you've Absolutely. seen it with guys at, at the pro level, major league level who they've, their hot zone is up and in and there shouldn't be any reason why. And it's, it's only up and in and there shouldn't be reason why any pitch ends up close to there, but they get it. They get it multiple times a year and still hit 30 homers off of them. They can, they get it more than 30 times. They miss a bunch of them too still. So, um, so, you know, it, it, it happens. Yeah. I think building a narrative, any kind of narrative that's, that's, you know, flooded with confidence, like you saying, uh, you know, this guy's got an ERA, you know, keep, keep painting the picture that guys miss and pitchers struggle and all that. So that that's going to happen more often than not. It's that rare case where, you know, the, the matchup isn't good and he's got his a game on the mound. Then you gotta, you know, maybe go to a different level in those, those certain times and, and compete a different way. But most of the time, sure. you can stick stick to what you do well. Yeah, and I I think I, I just had a recent revelation. I think I'm giving pitchers too much credit. Like I think I think that <laughs> that I'm I'm giving them too much yeah. credit on the show. So I'm going to stop talking about how good they are and just start start talking about how many mistakes they make during the game too. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean you got to, and, and obviously they're yeah. good and they're 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 studying the same stuff we're studying. They're working their butts off to get better. I mean. Uh, you know, Andy always says this quote from uh, from Kevin Eastman, who who he loves, who we've had come speak to our organization. But the Lakers practice too, and Eastman was with the Celtics forever. But um, I love that line: "The Lakers practice too," because you know, as as much as you're working, you're, you you can't give up, you can't take your foot off the gas because your opponents are, and that's that is the case with pitchers. They're they're working their butts off too, but a much better narrative if we're thinking about how 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 confident we want guys when we walk into the box is that. They do make mistakes and, and we're in charge and we're on offense and we're on the attack. And, um, mm. you know, that's, that's, that's a better narrative from my opinion, in my opinion for, for our hitters. Absolutely. So uh, another thing that, and, and a lot of the stuff that we've talked about from a practice setting, we could turn into competitions, but did you, do you have any, uh, that kind of break up the monotony or that you do quite often to just, uh, cause you've talked about external focus. You've talked about decision training, You've talked even you can even do this with BP or movement prep, but we've talked a lot about these. But are there any that that you turn into competitions or just any competitions that you like? Yeah, I mean, competition is so key. And I, like again, I go back to my darn six year old who it was the most recent in my memory. But I, you know, unless I'm finding a way to make it competitive for him, like his engagement level is so different, and that applies at the pro level for sure. I mean, when when you put some sort of competitive stakes behind anything i mean these are competitors these are world-class competitors so it, it definitely raises the engagement and when they're engaged they're practicing more deliberately and that that matters that pays off over time so um 
I don't know. I've seen, I mean, different environments, uh, you know, allow for different things, uh, you know, in our extended spring group, there's a little bit more time. I mean, I've never seen just, just setting up teams and, you know, if we're working velo machine that day, just setting up teams and turn it into a, a nine on nine game for your hitters instead of, you know, pitching, you know, five rounds of six and guys just whacking away. I mean, that we, we've had uh, every time they do that, the, the guys are jumping up and down on the field and going nuts and trying to win. And, you know, that, that takes the, the monotony of the velo day when it just broke your bat and you're sick of it and you don't want to do it again. It, it definitely changes the vibe and changes the engagement. So, you know, just making teams and creating a game there. I, I love, uh, you know, old school and, and you can do this in high school a lot and, and college. They just, you know, Johnny strikeout type games where, players are throwing to each other and trying to strike each other out with the net, you know, short range. So it's, so they're, they're throwing, it's firm and, and they can mix pitches and um, that gets guys, that gets guys fired up. And I think, again, I, I, the theme of external is throwing targets out there. I mean, we did this a lot in spring training with it, whether it's a Chipotle gift card on the line or whatever, throwing one of the big square screens out in left center field and, the team that hits it the most or, you know, runs balls up against it the most, you know, you add those up and that team wins. So um, whether it's an individual or a team competition, it's, it's so important to, to hit, hit into some sort of competitive element, you know, especially in the grind of a, of a season day in and day out season. And you can feel free to defer uh, to the next question after this, but I, I just thought of it, but what about like in-game competitions? Because, uh, you know, some, I don't know if that's if that's a thing with you guys or just like measuring a certain thing rather than just hits or maybe Wobo or OPS. But um, just anything. Do you guys have anything besides like getting hits and wins, which are extreme, which are important, obviously, and and develop from the development side. But do you guys do in-game competitions or maybe Uh, post-game from in-game decisions? Right. Well, yeah, when you, whether you call it a competition or not, I, I, there's just, there's nothing more powerful to any group at any level than tracking something. So again, whatever you want to track as a a coach or a staff, that's creating a competition among your players and they will care about it. Um, I mean, it's crazy what just caring a little bit more about something does. And I, you know, I think for us that we weren't as good with two strikes last year as we would have wanted to be. Uh, that's something we're going to try to track. I, I'm not sure what metrics we're going to use yet to to track it, but we will make that a competition. We will try to, you know, have all our teams be in the top of their league, you know, in that category, and it'll make a difference. Um, so, I, you know, I, I wish we had done a better job of that last year, but that's that's definitely something that, you know, you track it, they, they pay attention to it. Um, it's great. I mean, even – again, talking to Tim a little bit about Mookie Betts and his two-strike approach. But I, the biggest thing Tim said about his two-strike approach is that he, he cares. He, he, he mm-hmm. cares about doing well with two strikes. Uh, he may shift his sights a little bit. I, I'm not even 100% sure, but that, that resonates to me. That guy has, takes pride in doing it. So there's no better way to, to have your group take pride in something than, than just tracking what, what you think is relevant or, or important. So, yeah, that, that would be the best form of in-game competition. Great, great answer. So uh, another thing that, that we deal with that I, I don't think people talk about it enough is, is in-game conversation. So let's say yeah. that uh, that you're yourself and, and I'm a player and, man, I'm just really struggling. Like I'm, I'm over for three, I've got three punch outs, and I just go, hey, Q, what do you got, man? 
I mean, what, what are those conversations look like? Does it go back to trying to find something to be confident in for the last couple of at bats? Do you get technical? Do you have to know yeah. the player? I mean, walk us through what that conversation looks like. Yeah, we hit on this a little bit earlier of, you know, typically trying to find where they're at confidence or getting them a better external target to focus on or letting them, you know, hey, when you're at your best, what are you thinking? And they say, I, lie. I know I can drive it over the shortstop's head. So you get them to something external. But I, I think it's it's more than just, you know, my, my what I've, I've experienced between me and a player. I mean, I think in general for dugout chatter, like, and I, I saw this my first year and I, I contributed to the problem. I mean, I, again, I was coming out of the private world. I was probably more, you know, of a swing coach to, uh, in the, you know, is that, I know that's a buzz term, the swing coach versus the hitting coach, but I was probably more mechanically focused um, coming out of the private world. And, you know, you get you, my conversations probably trended more towards mechanics in those situations. And I, I think that was a big mistake I was making. So, um, I, and I, I talked with one of our, our hitting coaches, you know, Joe Thurston, who will be in double A this year. And he just kind of noticed the chatter. Maybe it was more when I was there and I was part of the problem and he was hitting, hitting me at that. But, you know, he would notice the chatter in the dugout was more mechanical. And, and Andy's, Andy notices this all the time. And sometimes Andy will sit by the bat rack and just listen. And guys are coming back talking about, you know, their back elbow after an at bat. It, it drives them nuts. Um, but I, again, I think if you can find some rules are for getting guys in the dugout that mechanical conversations are, are better not have in that scenario. When you're in the heat of battle in a dugout, in a game, um, when guys are, you know, talking about their scap load, you're, you're probably not in a great place. So way rather guys talking about, Hey, this guy's ball is dipping like crazy. You might want to set your sights higher. Like I, I, I was trying to hit it at the shortstop and it's, I, I need to hit it over the center field fence. So, I, you know, having some creating a culture, creating some rules in your dugout where the conversations are, are more focused on on targets or approach stuff versus mechanics is probably a good idea. Fantastic answer. And so uh, what about with man? We talk about this too, middle of the season. OK, and this applies to all levels. We're in the middle of the season. We're playing most days and you've got a guy who is just struggling like he is he is like like over 20 with 15 punch outs or like over 40 with 20 and you're just like man okay so so what do we have to do to get this guy right and so in that instance it's really tough to balance okay is it mechanical is it timing is it mental is it physical are there there's so many different things that you have to balance but looking at it again we all have our processes and and trying to know the player but Man, that's something that we can all empathize with the player because we've all been there uh, with with struggling to different levels. But I mean, what's your process in helping guys that are, that are really down in the dumps that that are struggling? Because I think we can all understand that we will have players that go through that to different levels, right? We'll have guys that are over ten and think the world is ending, and we'll have yeah. guys that are over, over like their last thirty that are really really struggling, right? So. Kind of work, work your process with me with that uh, as far as just how do we help those guys and, and really uh, do we start with, hey, this would be step one for me. This would be step two. This yeah. would be step three, things like that. Yeah, number one, you're right. I mean, and I think Cody, this was in the article that Cody was talking about, and it's really smart, is is starting with, you know, having a process or a system of starting with what's first fo- first and foremost. And I, uh, for us, you know, we'd like to attack whether where he is mentally first. Is he 
you know, is he even getting close to a place where he can be, you know, committed and, and, and have a sharply defined intent on something simple or is his mind just swimming on a 6,000 different things over 20, his parents, his batting average, that darn scoreboard that shows everybody's batting average. And even worse, the, the scoreboards now that are progressive. So if you're over three, it, it's like it dipped under 220, <laughs> from you're, you're over 220 at seven o'clock and now you're down at 218 and it's driving you even more nuts. So all those thoughts of just getting you to a place mentally, are, are they in a good spot mentally? And then you check off that box and then is it something tactical and, and that could include just are they looking for the wrong pitch against the wrong guy and are they you know or, or timing can fall into that category they just laid as heck so um we go from the mental to the tactical to physical you know again you're thinking about how this guy's moving and um is there a limitation there that's preventing maybe there's an injury that's preventing things so again getting going down that checklist is really important before you dive into anything mechanical but uh, again, a hundred times out of a hundred, uh, no, 99 times out of a hundred, it's going to be confidence related. So if you can put a dent in that on the fly, you're, you're doing something valuable for that player. I would also say only thing I'd add to that is, and, and we try to do this at the beginning of every year. And the more you can do it during, during the year as, as a team's hit coach or manager, it's getting guys to expect the expected. I think that has so much value of when you, cause who's not going to encounter an 0 for 15, especially in a professional season. So, like that is coming at some point. If you expect it, if you're aware that that's probable. Um, and if you're aware, you know, again, I love that expect the expected thought just cause you know, it, it, it prepares you for that 0 for 15. So it's not as staggering when it comes, it prepares you. You can use it to prepare for bad calls from umpires. So they're not as staggering when they come and they don't take you out of it bad. So, um, I think that can be helpful. And then you can call back on that when he's over 20 and really stressed out. You can say, look, man, you, you see, we had a conversation about this and, and you knew this was going to happen. It's part of the game and you're going through it now. And, and Bobby's going to go through it next week. And, you know, Charlie's going to go through it next week. And it's, it's what we knew was going to happen. So how are we going to fight through it? So, you know, hopefully that gets their brain and thinking it's not the end of the world because, you know, this is expected stuff in, a, in any season. And, and then you can dive back into the confidence piece on, you know, again, I, I know I'm a broken record, but, you know, what nothing gets a guy, gives a guy a better chance of competing than going back to something he knows he does really well. So that's, no, where, I, that's and, where I go with it. And you say that, uh, you sound like a broken record, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that success leaves clues. And, uh, and I, a friend of mine was asking me, he's, he was like, Hey, a lot of the good coaches are saying the things over and over again. You know, what do you do in that situation? And I said, I listen, like <laughs> I listen yeah. and write it down. If it keeps coming up over and over again, then obviously it must be important. And that's, that's for us with our self-discovery, if it's important to us too, but I, I try my best to learn from other people's failures too, you know, and, and other people's successes just because we're all going to have our own, but you know, you, you say broken record and I say, okay, this must be important because he, he's talking about it several times, but yeah, uh, yeah, no, I, that's how I listen to stuff too. The same way. If they keep saying that that's something that's worth paying a little more attention to, I, I hear you. Mm-hmm. So, so now's your time to, uh, to hold true to the promise that you were going to give us all the secrets to becoming, uh, the best hitting coach slash coordinator slash baseball coach in the world. So what's the latest thing learned that you're excited about? I, I got it. Yeah. So it's going to be disappointing, unfortunately, but it's placebo effect. And I'm telling you, the Himalayan hitting shaman is the answer to everybody's problems and he doesn't even exist. 
but that's your go-to guy. You, you tell anybody, and I, I swear to God, at some point before I'm done with this game, I'm going to do this. But we're going to say we got a guy who's been studying your video, your cave vest reads. He's been in the mountains and the Himalayas for the last 10 years, just diving in on everything you've done professionally as a hitter. And he's got the answer. He sees it. He's got it. And just have him walk in, whoever he is. Yeah, you dress him up. You got anything you want. Have fun with it. Have, dress him up, have him walk in, and just say, your back elbow. And walk out of the room, and you got it. That guy's fixed <laughs> forever. I mean, it is amazing how much like placebo effect can work for guys. And it, again, it ties the confidence. Again, if a if a coach, if you if the coach is, has tons of confidence that this is the cure, and you buy into that, that has value. I mean, I've seen it. I mean, I've absolutely. I, I, you had uh, Lorenzo on one of your podcasts, um, mm-hmm. and he is he is as confident as it gets with what he teaches, what he preaches, and, he, and I'm telling sure. you, it works with his players. Um, and you know, it, it's it has it has a lot of power. But anyways, yeah, the Him- Himalayan hitting shaman is is your guy. Find find a way to get somebody that can that can whether it's placebo or not can can pump the right answer into a guy, whether it's the right answer mm-hmm. or not, it'll work. But no, I, I you know I again I that's. Hopefully that was funny and didn't didn't anger too many people. That <laughs> wasn't that. wasn't what they were looking for. But um, I, you know, I, again, I I think you know, and you can do this on an individual level. You can do this on a team level. But really nailing down what you what you believe in, like what, whether you know, for again, for us as an organization, our our systems. Um, we want to have simple systems that that kind of adhere to the values that we value the most, from simplicity that to confidence and self-awareness okay if they if they're if this you know let's take batting practice your daily practice is a system um being able to okay is, is it is our is that leaving our guys more confident for preparation for the game at seven o'clock uh, you know are they are we building self-awareness are we um you know all, all the things that you value again i keep hitting on confidence but if if your systems are you know staying true to those things that that to me is the answer to you know you got to play the long haul and and if you're doing those things over the long haul it'll, it'll pay dividends. Um, but again, there, again, there no there are I guess the ultimate joke is there are obviously no easy answers to to all the cures of hitting. Um, but you know confidence is is the best thing in the world and however you get guys there, uh, it's going to pay off. So that's 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 the ultimate answer. Uh, I, that was well worth the wait. So <laughs> another one that I, that I love to ask it's because it's, it's practical is what's something that you guys do in training or that you do individually in training with your players that they love, like their favorite drill, their favorite competition, what would that be? Yeah. And I, you know, I, th- I, th- I think about this a lot because obviously you want to repeat those, those things. I mean, from, from when I was younger, I mean, and we did this in the pro level at times, just, you know, I love just setting up tournaments, like a pig tournament, for example, and you can do it off the tee. You can do it in batting practice, but guys are picking targets and the next guy's got to hit it. I say pig cause it's, it goes faster, but horse, whatever you want to call it, that, that can be a great kind of practice game. Um, you know, what other thing, I mean, I, I really do. Uh, I think it's important to have a narrative for your team, but you know, around confidence, but uh, going with that is, you know, having a team handshake, having a victory song after you win, like all those things that kind of build confidence and morale and, and get guys fired up. I mean, that that's those are the things that guys probably probably get get the most into. Um, you know, they have ownership of it, whatever their double signal is that they signal back to the dugout. I mean, you've seen it at the college level. That, that's when guys seem to be having the most fun playing the game. So, um, 
you know, that I'd, I'd hit on that more, more than anything. Those are the, those are the things that really seem to resonate. Definitely love that. And then I know that you're a reader and even the guys that I reached out to, to ask them about you, they all said the same thing, which is you are basically a human library. So I'm really, really looking forward to digging into this. And also I'd like to ask you a question after this about your resources, but what are some of your favorite books, uh, even lately or, you know, longstanding books that have helped sh- uh, shape your coaching career? Yeah, you and I were talking about about this one, but that and I hadn't gotten to it. I had had it recommended so many times. Um, and and it's always I, I did read The Way of Baseball by Sean Green, which I would recommend. There are so many good nuggets in there. But uh, The Inner Game of Tennis was the other one that always gets recommended with that. And I hadn't read it, but it's outstanding and, and applies obviously across all sports and, and life too, but really good simplification of um, some complex, you know, topics on how, how your brain works. And, and I know you're very familiar with the self one and self two and, you know, the kind of two different personalities that end up taking a, taking the field, but learning what those are and how to control them. That, that, that book is, is outstanding. Um, I think you know relevant to now that, that one I recommend a lot is the is the Ryan Holiday the obstacle is the way um, that that one really resonated with me it's it's a great simple read you can usually read it on a flight or um, you know you pick up put down a couple dimes and you're done and uh, I don't know maybe a more complicated one but one that it's kind of been in my brain a lot this book uh, anti fragile. Um, it's not not relevant, you know, not written for baseball by any stretch. But I again, I think the the themes apply across uh, the author and blank uh, Nassim Taleb, um, kind of a controversial guy. Maybe maybe not the most likable dude in the world, but the book has a lot of relevant themes. But anti fragile, the idea, you know, I guess that's probably what we want to create with all our hitters, anyways, guys that can handle all the the stresses and and negatives thrown at you by the game of baseball, but it's a, I would highly recommend it's a bit of a schlog of a read, but, um, it's, it's great stuff. Uh, and you were not, maybe you and I were talking about, uh, maybe you recommended it or somebody did recently, but the, a great podcast on skill acquisition, um, that I just listened to but it's a OPEX podcast, but there's one look up that. And, and there's an episode with Keith Davids, who's the guy that wrote the constraints led approach book. Um, and you'll get a couple hours of him talking. That was, that was, that was really, really good. I thought, Oh, Nick, Nick Winkleman's podcast. I, I think it was uh, just fly performance. Um, he's Nick Winkleman's a really good skill acquisition guy language. Um, there's some great stuff on communication in there. Um, that's probably more than you asked for, but those are, those are, that's been oh, wow. on the last, last few weeks. Those, those things have been awesome to get a, get my hands on. Mm -hmm. We actually got to spend some time with Nick, uh, during spring training. He came for about three days and I hear he's an absolute stud. Yeah. Yeah. He, he just recently had a book that came out that I'm, I'm walking through and, and, uh, I may have him on in the next week or two on this. So, uh, for the listeners that are listening to this before then, uh, feel free to reach out for some questions, but his book's good. And, and even spending three days with him, I was I was curious how much more that I would learn, but even in the first couple of chapters, there's some really good, really good information on how uh, communication plays a a huge role in, in how we interact on a daily basis, no matter, you know, what level we're coaching at. It's it, we all, we all discern information differently. So it's been really good. 
But other than that, I, I, I wrote these down. I'm going to have to look up uh, anti-fragile. That sounds really interesting. And, and you actually recommended behave too, which is a freaking beast of a book, but that I'm going yeah, through yeah. right now, yeah. but, uh, I'm slogging, slogging through that one too. How about, by the way, I, I, I just read the uh, part on hurricanes and how male and feet like they, so they alternate between a male and female name mm-hmm. of hurricanes, right? So it goes from Charlie to Elizabeth, Hurricane Elizabeth, Hurricane Charlie. But like statistically, more people die when it's a um, female named hurricane. And (laughs) it's fascinating, like human behavior. I mean, that's that's in the book. And and because they, they people don't take it as seriously. And I mean, it's just crazy to me, some of the ways we we react and biases we have and yeah, that, that book is, is fascinating. I gotta, I gotta finish it. Cause there's gotta be some good nuggets on how we can pump up more confidence, um, in guys to, to get them where we want to get them, but crazy stuff. Yeah. And another one that, that I've really enjoyed lately and I, I don't, you know, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but, uh, Trevor Moad's book was really good. Uh, power of neutral thinking. And one of the, and I had, I did not know this, you know, being a, being a baseball guy my whole life and, and you too, I don't, I don't know if you have heard this quote from Bill Buckner, but 19 days before the world series, there was a quote that he, and they referenced it. Uh, there was a, there, he was getting interviewed and they asked him about, uh, you know, what, what, what are your dreams look like? Like, what is, what is the dream scenario? Oh, look oh my like? God. Yeah. Sorry. Keep and, going. I did just see that. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, the dreams are that you're going to have a great series and win. And the nightmares are that you're going to let the winning run score on a ground ball through your legs. Those things happen. I think a lot of it's just fate. And so that one, like, wow, like that, that blew my mind that he said that now is that coincidence? I I don't know, but, but him telling himself that planted the seed of that situation and you can just see it. I mean, we can both see that that visual of, of that happening now just over and over. And, and that, you know, he was a, he was in 20 years in the big leagues. And I mean, obviously that's what we know him for, but, but long story short, uh, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, what's a good place online that they can find you? Yeah, I I do have a Twitter account. I'm not, like you said, I'm not as active on it nowadays. Um, so I, I I guess I, I should start posting more stuff or sharing more content. I'll, I'll, I want to try to do that. Um, that is a goal of mine, but, um, yeah, Hugh Qualtabom on, on Twitter is on there. Um, I, I'll, I'll get an Instagram. I'm going to reboot an Instagram account. So I'll have it under the same, same name. So, um, but you know, anybody can reach me, uh, email H Qualtabom is, is easy to find me on, on, you know, I've got all the old email tags. So, um, you know, happy to happy to answer any questions anybody has on, on those platforms too. Well, cool. Well, I'm just going to open up the mic for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? I'm still thinking about that Buckner thing. That was, I mean, just, the, and there's so much packed into that statement because he ended up, you know, he handled that. I was from, I lived in Boston growing up and, you know, he, he was, he was there a lot and he handled that situation exactly how he described in the quote that it's just one of those things that happens. And, he dealt with that thing. And I mean, that the amount of, you know, negativity that was thrown at him for that to, to survive that as well as he did the rest of the way. And, and even being a Seinfeld episode, right. Or was it a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode? One or the other, he, he, he was in one of those poking fun of himself for doing it. Um, I don't know, pr- pretty impressive overall, but um, I don't know. F- final words, man. I, it's, 
it's hard. I, you know, obviously you and I both follow, you know, from a distance, a lot of the stuff going on, on, <clears throat> on Twitter. And it's, it's a lot of it's entertaining. I, I just, I wish people realized that there was so much more, you know, to be learned in the middle ground, um, whether people are feuding over pitting technique on Twitter and, you know, the, the real answer is usually somewhere in the middle, there's value on both sides and, and getting people back to the middle so they can, you know, take from both sides of, of any argument, whether it's hitting and obviously you see it in politics too. But, um, you know, I, I just think finding that middle ground and it applies all the way down to the roots of a darn swing. I mean, you know, the answer is usually somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Do you want, do you want to get off your backside and, and get forward? Yeah. But you don't want to crash forward. Do you want to stay back? Yeah. But you don't want to get stuck back. Do you want to elevate the ball? Yeah. But you don't want to dump the barrel and, you know, drop, drop underneath everything. Um, you know, it's, it's, do you want to, do you want to get, turn your hips and fire hips? Yeah. But you also need to stop them too. It's, it's, it's crazy all the stuff, but I, I think in all the, you know, video I've ever watched or, you know, all the things you think about or rabbit holes you dive into, it always ends up somewhere with, you know, the answer somewhere in the middle of a happy medium. Um, so yeah, whether it's, you know, life politics hitting, I think that applies. So that, that would kind of, that'd be my parting, parting words. Well, again, Hugh, thanks for uh, coming on the show today and, and for our listeners who want all those answers, we know where to find them with the Himalayan shaman. Uh, but again, thanks for coming on the show and, and sharing so much with us today. We really appreciate your time. I hope, I hope somebody does it and gets back to you because <laughs> that thing's going to, that's going to yield more hits than any other hitting trick in the world. So please do it and get back to us. We got to, we got to get that thing piloted. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.